1: and 365-day returns. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. I've spent most of the last couple of days glued when I had an opportunity to a new book. A new book called A State of Emergency written by Virgin Media reporter Richard Chambers. And it's described as... The incendiary untold story of Ireland's response to the biggest public health emergency of the past century. A serious deep dive that reads like a novel. And Richard, I have to welcome you on the programme by telling you that even though I have, just like you, covered this blasted thing since day one, I learned something on every second page. Congratulations on a fine book. Good morning.
0: Oh, thank you so much, PJ. It means a lot coming from you. You've done you've done great stuff yourself all the way through it. You've been great with the messaging. So no, that that's that's really lovely. Thanks so much for that.
1: It's it's, it's remarkable. It's a real deep dive into the interaction of the various parts of our society. What prompted you to read it and what pro- or to write it rather and to bring it out at this time when we're still in a bit dodgy?
0: Yeah, I think that's an inc- that's a good question. I mean, I think it was important to do it and write it uh, while we were in the midst of it. I think there's always a danger when you're doing things like this, that if you write them uh, after the fact, as it were, that people tend to sanitize their accounts of it. So you might say that there might be one minister might say that, oh, that other minister wasn't so bad, or our relationship with the HSE or with NEFET was pretty smooth, you know? So um, it was better to get them while their relationships that they're in and that, that are so you know central to the story are real, and contemporary so I mean it all started just back in January I, I was approached by by the publisher Harper Collins to uh, think about writing a book and um, just from that point it was about really trying to to see what sort of stories we wanted to link together what sort of you know what sort of angles we were going to look at but I mean just as you're saying I think some of the stuff that is sort of uncovered over the course of the book in terms of those relationships and how people you know with their hands on the levers of how this was all managed at a state level how they got on and how some of their relationships crumbled over the course of it is stuff which I simply didn't know. And I think it's very interesting Mm. and I think it is worth reflecting on as we are heading into another difficult period.
1: You don't spare anybody's blushes?
0: No, I don't. I think that there is... um, I was quite shocked at some of the I suppose some of the, the the depth of feeling there, which is, I mean, for example, there is some very very heavy criticism of the health minister Stephen Donnelly from senior figures both in Neffet and in the HSE. Some criticism as well uh, within government about uh, the minister, uh, who is described by uh, one senior HSE figure as being some sort of um, so, some sort of you know avatar of a David Brent, or an, by another person then as a, as a Ron Burgundy. So. The fact that these are the feelings of the people who are managing our response to the crisis and describing the health minister responsible for them uh, is quite shocking. But, you know, there is there is so many different interesting personalities mm. uh, in this who have been so key to this. Uh, and I think that, yeah, there there's no holding back, really, in terms of how they're viewed by each other. It's probably it was actually reflected to me by one member of NPHET who who has read the book now at this point. Uh, he was like, I'm really glad somebody did this because um if we if we'd come out of this, we'd probably have said we all got on and everything was grand And sure nobody would believe that so, has anybody come uh, and said
1: think- you're awful little so and so
0: no i, I that, that that will be telling, but no there there actually hasn't at this point anyway, no yeah. because i mean it is this is this is how this is how it is, and I think that people people understand that the need for something like this to sort of, you know, because people do need to understand how this was managed. Like we are approaching a time when people are going to look for an inquiry yes. or an investigation into the management of this. And I think that something like this where you're allowing the people, the, the, the key actors, if you want to put it that way, to speak frankly about their roles and how it was all managed. I think there is a value in that.
1: Mm. You, you focus in a good chunk of the book on the nursing homes and a particular nursing home in Dublin and the story of a particular woman, Rosie, which was heartbreaking because she was a very with it woman who stayed with the news. She was almost ahead of the news and she took all her own precautions and yet she still got it and yet she still died and her family are going to have questions and so will many, many more.
0: Yeah, there are there are so many families like that that of Rosie Hegerty. and I mean, I suppose when you when you're writing a book like this, they're the people you worry about. You know, you worry about whether or not you've done their story justice. You worry about, I mean, how they're going to feel when the, when the book is out. But this is such a you know this is a, a situation, a terrible tragedy which is inflicted on. Countless families, really, across the country, both in nursing homes and and elsewhere, in homes and in hospitals. But the situation, I mean, if if you're referring there to, to say, Mary's Nursing Home in the Phoenix Park here in Dublin, uh, which just witnessed an extraordinarily dreadful loss of life. To be able to go in there, I suppose, and speak to the families of those who died, or the families of of, of other residents there, as well as some of the staff members, speaking some of them for the first time about it, uh, just to try and bring home, because one of the key members of staff there, I was driving home one day from just a horrendous time. Just the, the, the work that the people in the nursing homes had to do at the peak of this in the first wave was just extraordinarily difficult. And she was driving home down the N7 uh, away from Dublin uh, and just was pulled over to checkpoint with tears streaming down her faces. The guard sort of looks in the window and sort of says, are you okay? And she just can't can't respond to her. So I think yeah. it was important. I really wanted to make sure that the staff of the nursing homes yeah. um, also had their versus voices heard in it as well, because it was just... a uh,
1: a dreadful experience. You got extraordinary two. access, Richard. I was saying, every as I turned every page, you got extraordinary access to people.
0: Yeah, I think I mean for it, 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 that is something I'm, I'm very grateful for. I was shocked at the honesty that was there as well uh, from us. I mean, there were hundreds and hundreds of hours of interviews, sort of put into it. I, I, I was lucky in a way, I suppose, uh, because I was sort of covering. The, the pandemic so far across a few, a few different stools. There's the political side of it where you have strong contacts. There's the Nefet and the HSE side, again, strong contacts. And then I was lucky enough as well to, to always have a strong focus then on the personal details, you know, the families who are affected, people who are still going through COVID, people with long COVID, people who have been in ICU, the frontline healthcare workers as well.
1: I Dr. Think that, Ali's the, family, for example.
0: Oh, my words! yes, I think doctor so I think a lot of your listeners might remember the story of Dr Syed wakar ali who was um, he was a locum emergency doctor who was working in the matter, uh, he himself was admitted with covid to the i c u in the hospital. And he was one of the first healthcare workers who died. And it was such an uh, uh, it's such a difficult story to tell. He was such a beloved figure in, mm. in all of the hospitals that he worked in. All of his colleagues, patients, of course, left like memories of what he was like and how, how seen they felt by him as a doctor, how human he was. But also his family. His family are extraordinarily strong. I speak particularly in the book um, with his daughter, Summer, uh, mm-hmm. who, of course, graduated and is now a doctor herself. And so she is now working... Uh, in the matter uh, effectively above the one floor above the icu where her father died and i think that her resilience her strength her passion for the, for for the job and sort of learning the lessons that her father taught her in in mm. sort of paving this path to medicine i just i think there's a real lesson in there for people as well about you know the impacts of grief but also you know taking what we've learned from the people who've gone before us so i mean i'm I, to, to have Spent time talking to people like, like Summer Ali and, and 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 the families of those who died has just been, it's, it's been an enormous responsibility, but a huge privilege as well to try and bring their story and,
1: and do it justice. Was it emotionally difficult at time, Richard? Absolutely.
0: It really yeah. was. I mean, th- there's no sugarcoating it as well, I think. Yeah. You know, you often hear about some journalists and um, they'll be like, oh, you have to cut yourself off from it. You have to sort of detach yourself from these things. I just don't I don't I I've not i do not i have not i have never been able to do that with covid really because just because of you know from from the very get go if you go back to last february last march people were always on whether they'd be healthcare workers and they were frightened of the situation or people who had been cocooning like my own family was you know, there's an enormous sense of, you know, responsibility to, to, to sort of, you know, just be sharing this human experience with people. And you would, you'd go, you'd, you'd often spend time when you're when you're sort of clocked out at the end of 15, 16 hour days or whatever. And you'd worry about the people who'd, who'd spent the time messaging you for the day or the people you talk to for the interviews for the book. I think you don't, it's only human. I think it is, it's important that, you you know, as a journalist, you don't lose that sense of humanity Either, you know. I think that's important. It's 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 kind of always something I've I've I've
1: tried to do anyway. Come back to the fact that you spare nobody's blushes and one thing that comes through the book is the warts and all relationships between people. People who we would think were and we know work next door to each other almost, but don't necessarily get on very well. You know, you no, don't you don't spare not. that either. <laughs>
0: No, and I think there, there probably will be some people in high places who who, who aren't who aren't thankful for the book um, coming out as a Paul Read and
1: Tony Holden, for example. I
0: think so. I think that, that was interesting. Some people might have realised that there was, you know, there was, there was, was. it wasn't always a smooth relationship going back to last March when they had that, that, that very public falling out over the testing target at the time. But over the course of the pandemic, there really was an element of distrust between the leadership of Neffet, which is, of course, Tony Houlihan um, and key figures like that, and Paul Reid. There was a feeling when you came to last October, October of last year, when, of course, Tony Houlihan, Returned and he made that recommendation of a level five uh, lockdown. There was a sense of betrayal from some senior figures in Neffet uh, that Paul Reid had sort of told the government, No, no, we don't need to do this. We're coping. Our hospitals are coping. And it was the same again in the run up to Christmas. Now, Paul Reid would say, Of course, he was playing it at a straight bat. He was getting everything in from the hospital managers and they weren't under any severe pressure at the time. But the Neffet view would be, Why is the head of the health service saying that things are okay, everything's grand when it's about what happens two, Mm. three, four weeks down the line? So there is a very testy relationship there. Some people in Neffet, I think people will be surprised to hear that, didn't really see the HSE leadership at times Mm. as allies in the fight against COVID. Also, some people in Neffet as well. Actually, and it's what is a very charged sort of commentary, they felt that the HSE from the from the very beginning misunderstood COVID, that there was a focus on things like we need to get morgues in place, we need people in military uniforms about the place, whereas some people in Neffet, particularly in the public health element of it, would think that, no, 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 your focus should be on testing, it should be on... Sort of giving support to your regional public health departments. Let them make decisions based on what they're hearing on the ground. Mm. So there is been a, there has been a clash, and it's been an ongoing conflict.
1: Yeah, uh, really, to it goes, day it goes on all the time. It's a very very <laughs> continuous. Lastly, Richard, he he's the man who's been to the forefront of it all from day one. Have you developed your own insight as to Tony Hol who he is, what drives him, what keeps him going? <sighs>
0: I think, yeah, like as you say, I think that Tony Houlihan is, is a totemic figure in how everybody in Ireland has experienced this pandemic. He has his detractors. There are people who say that he can be quite authoritarian. That he would host meetings, and he if he, he wouldn't suffer fools. PJ is the way it's sort of described. You know mm. that if he thinks that you're not contributing something to a meeting, or you don't, he doesn't like what you said. He won't be shy in letting you know it. There has been like talk of tempers lost in the Department of Health and whatnot. But there is a resilience there, which I think everybody, even his sharpest detractors would point to that from the very beginning, uh, notwithstanding the huge personal uh, anguish, which, of course, his family has has undergone over the course of this. Of course, he he did lose his wife, which is I can't imagine going through that in the middle of all of this. Um, He has shown remarkable resilience. He is very dogged. He has no fear of standing up to people. He has no fear of of doing what he feels is the right thing. I think it was best summed up to me by by one figure who was actually um, who had been quite critical of Tony hoolan at a time said that there was times at the start of it in particular where they'd go to those press briefings, you know, in front of the table at the Department of Health, and they'd feel we are really screwed here. That we are facing an Italy situation or a New York situation or even a UK situation, and we are screwed. And they always felt. He never showed fear, Tony Houlihan, and they got something from that, Mm -hmm. that even when, you know, we're at a situation where HSE figures were waiting on the tarmac at Dublin Airport, drafting up orders to half the amount of PPE into hospitals because we simply didn't have any. That there was an enormous amount of courage, which is showed by him, that he was almost this sort of Churchillian figure, that he might have been difficult on a personal level, that he might have been uh, quite um, quite a strong figure, quite authoritarian, as I say, but that he was the kind of person we needed to pull us through it. So there is going to be a huge focus on Tony Houlihan in this, uh, but I think that there is a fairly full picture of the sort of character that he is
1: throughout It's a super read, Richard, and I congratulate you on it. Uh, State of Emergency, Richard Chambers, Virgin Media uh, News Correspondent. Quartz 96 FM
0: Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more.